You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I have the great, great schus uh, to be joined today with my dear friend, the Rabbi Pesach Yosef Krohn. And Rabbi Pesach, although we're talking on a, on a Yom Tzar, a Yom of, uh, that's a sad day for Klal Yisrael, Asar Betevis, I think that there's a, there is a lot of precedent that when a Sefer is written, and by the Machaber, although this is not the day you finished it, when a Sefer is written, a Sefer becomes public, that's also has, uh, it's, it's definitely can be considered a Yom Simcha for the Machaber. And, There's uh, no question. I make a Shechiyono when I, uh, when I get the Sefer, when I see it in my hands. It's, it's, it's a And even though it's become so easy to publish Svarim, I know that your Simcha is great. And so I think as Claudius Rolls, that a new Sefer has once again appeared from Rabbi Pesach Rowe. And surprise, it's got the name Magid in the title, but it's the grandeur of the Magid. Um, and uh, I want to talk to you about this. This was, I, I think you've really perfected the, uh, the way to mix great and simple together. You have stories of, of, of greatness and you have stories of regular people and you're able to do it, I think, seamlessly um, as this omniscient narrator describing and discussing and then putting yourself in. It really is, uh, it's easy to write one type of genre or the other. I think you're able to do both of them together. And I think that's something that's a testament uh, to all the books you've written. But I think you've really, uh, really perfected that. I appreciate it. I, I, I do make it a point um, that there is godless in every year, and every year really has potential of doing extraordinary things. Now, an adorable story. And basically what it is, is this uh, unlearned man has such a core for learning, the Rav in his shul, gives a shear, let's say three quarters of an hour before chakras. So this guy comes and he serves everybody coffee and tea and everybody gets, you know, different. Everybody wants different. This guy wants the caffeinated tea, tea with milk, tea with honey. And this guy wants, uh, you know, herbal tea. And then the, the, the coffee with Splendor went out and he gives it to everybody, but he gives everybody a half a cup, half a cup. That's it. And then when people say, why don't you give me a whole cup? He said, well, don't worry. I'm in the kitchen. You just want, you know, I'll give it to you. And this went on. And one day he got up, he wasn't well, and he asked his son if his son would go to the shul. And he said, I'll give you a list of everybody, what they want. I have this list. And you give everybody the tea and the coffee that they want. And the the kid said, I'll I'll be happy to do it. He died usually in a different shul, but he went. And he prepared everything. And as he's about to walk out of the kitchen with the tray of all the coffees and teas, his father shows up. And he, he says, Abba, what are you doing here? I thought you don't feel well. He said, I forgot to tell you something. He said, what did you forget to tell me? He said, I forgot to tell you, everybody gets only a half a cup. He said, why? Well, doesn't everybody want a full cup? He says, yeah, sure. Well, let me just tell you something. He says, don't tell this to anybody. He says, there are two people there, their hands shake terribly. And if I would give everybody a full cup, these old men, they would spill it all over the Gemara, all over the table, all over them. It would be so humiliating. Like this, I give everybody a half a cup. Even if they shake, it's not going to fall out of the cup. Nobody's embarrassed. Beautiful. And and I think that story sort of uh, uh, encapsulates the way that all of us can learn. It right. doesn't have to be Rav Chaim Kanievsky. It doesn't have to exactly. be Rav Chaim 
that we can exactly. learn the type of midas that they're occurring that's important. I want to talk a little bit about the cover because okay. as you said, you know, this is very different than your other uh, covers. Uh, if you go to the back, uh, the the slip <laughs> dust jacket, yeah. you can see, you know, the other covers, there's there's Yerushalayim, there's, uh, there's, there's uh, Ir David, uh, there's a Tzadik, there's somebody clapping Al-Chet, you know, there's a, a big Seder plate, there's Rav Sholem. Here, I have to say, you know, it's like the Paramount logo, right? It's, it's, it's the mountains, the grandeur. Was there a reason why you decided that this, uh, that the mountains of some, uh, I don't know if it's the Alps or it's somewhere, or, or the Himalayas, why did you decide to put that? As- no question. But I'll tell you how this cover came to be. When, um, when I thought of the word grandeur, I thought of, you know, Rav Shalom, grandeur, magnificent and greatness. And Ellie Crone, no relation to me, a guy, who does the graphic arts in Art Scroll, I said to him, you know, grandeur to me is mountains. And, you know, whether it's mountains in Eretz Yisrael or mountains in the Alps or Swiss, whatever it is, you know, let's do something with mountains, you know, that shows the grandeur of Hashem's world. So he said to me, you know, we've got so many books that have mountains on them. We can't do mountains. <laughs> but then he came back to me. He says, you know, but, you know, we have no mountains at night. Mm. Let me see if I can picture something at night. And he came up with this picture. Now, this is probably a photo uh, that he had to buy someplace or whatever. I'm sure they have these graphic artists. They know these things. And when he showed it to me with the stars and the mountains and the water and the reflection, I thought that is so magnificent. And that's how I came up with the title, the subtitle, resplendent because the whole book the cover is resplendent and, and stories of inspiration and elevation yes i, I got the, the eleva- elevation i got yes and, and and you're right the 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 lake or that 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 mountainous lake that uh, that you see there is is also great because as much and this really gets back to my first point as much as you're going up to this mountain of greatness of Sadikim and Gedele Olam, right. you're also, you have what's, what's underneath. You have uh, the water, uh, the reflection, the way that we can even, if we can't get right. to that mountain, we can at least enjoy the reflection of it or even. Right. It's, yeah, it's exceptional. You're, you're touching it up perfect. It's very yeah. beautiful. Yeah, right. And, and that really is, that's why I, I always felt if you could, now there's one of the stories in here, I don't know that you had mentioned it, but to me, it was such a moving story about that little boy in Lakewood who was preparing for his bar mitzvah and wrote a letter to the father of somebody who lost his child in Maron. And that kid was 12 years old and this boy was 12 years old. And he learned, he read that that kid was learning Masech Tomit for his bar mitzvah and he was learning Masech Tomit. And he wrote the most beautiful letter to this person to say that he was going to be learning the Masechta Lezechanishma is that man's son. Mm. And, and, and there are two things that are remarkable about this. The, the, this boy's father from Lakewood, he went to this guy in Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Englart, and he showed him, the Englart showed him they had a box, a huge box of letters, many of them in different languages that they didn't even understand. This was written in English and the father translated them. And he said, you know, your son's letter comforted me. Because he felt that the child touched a, a sensitivity connecting to his child, a boy the same age. I thought that was beautiful. Okay, that was the first thing that was so touching to me. The second thing 
which I, I know you know a lot of history, but this boy's name is Benjamin Wilhelm. Does that name mean something? Benjamin Wilhelm was the great-great-grandfather of this kid. He started Tervadas. And now, the, and, he, and that was the forerunner of many, many yeshivas in America. And now his great-great-grandson is giving chizuk to another person in Eretz Yisrael. I just felt that there was something in the DNA. In me, before that, I want to give you another little shevach uh, based on, uh, it's a, sort of a strange source, uh, but it's a, a famous a detective writer, Walter Mosley, who's actually written books of science fiction and books on soci- sociology. And I would say sort of like, um, uh, I don't know if you would call it philosophy, but he, he, he's quite a successful writer in, in his, in, in, in his uh, area. And uh, he's written a number of number of bestsellers. I don't know if he's Pesach Rone, but he's definitely <laughs> somewhat out there. But, but I don't know if these are bestsellers in the world, but uh, <laughs> by odds, scroll they are. Yes. And so years ago, I saw Walter Mosley was once uh, uh, interviewed. And the person wondered how he was able to bring to life post-World War II Watts in Los Angeles. As we know, that was a, a community that grew exponentially uh, after World War II, it became really one of the main city in America, almost, and especially the African American community there. And he was able, although he's m- much younger, he was able to bring to life the the nuances and the rhythms of that community from older men who were there and said, "How did you do it, Mr. Mosley? How were you able? You didn't live there." And he, his answer was so important to me. It really resonates with me in any type of research or work that I do. He says, what do you think? Do you think the world started with me? That this is where everything began? And I can only write about things that I know and I remember? Mm-hmm. I realized that I am just part of something. So when I was able to, I went to the older people. I went to people on the... On, on the corner of barbershops. And I asked them, I wanted them to tell me, I wanted them to make it come to life. I didn't, I wasn't selfish about my, about who I was. And because of that, I was able to gain from them a way to use the gifts that he was given to let that era come to life. And I think you would do something very similar. There's many stories in this book that take you a hundred years ago, some of them even longer. Many things are from uh, the, the 40s, the 50s, the 20s. And I, I think that that's something that you have learned about. You weren't alive then, but I think your your research and your care of trying to find them out has allowed you to, a person could open this book and read the stories of what was happening as um, Hitler's government was <coughs> pressing its it's 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 boot boot heel upon the neck of the Jews, and it doesn't sound like your typical kitsch. It sounds like like verite, as we say in French, like it's alive and real from that time. And I think that's well. The truth is that I do research, and I I make calls all over the world. I'll call any country, even for a small detail, you know, as the inside from the people to whom it happened. And I I think that hopefully that comes out. And, and, and therefore, it isn't just, uh, you know, a, they really believe that they are in that era. And I think that's something that's, that's, that's very important that many younger writers, I think, can learn from you. Most people are so eager, Pesach, to get to the point, to get to the punchline 
that they leave out the details that allow right. that, that person to come to life. Um, there's one with the first story that I sort of, it, it spoke to me was the Polish payback. Now, you know, I'm, my, my dad, of course, is a Polish, and, but the, it starts with Rebel Yoshev. And, right. And, and Rebel Yoshev, for many of and us. And this wonderful doctor, Dr. Zalewski. Right, right. And it's really about Dr. Zalewski and what doctor, the way Dr. Zalewski understood that uh, uh, he had a patient that, right. uh, who you uh, name uh, Mr. Nowak. And yeah. it turned out that Mr. Nowak, uh, his family in Europe, had actually hid uh, had Nasir's nefesh. Really, they risked their lives to save Jews. Right. Even though his sister had, had said, "What are we doing this for?" Um, it was the grandmother wouldn't hear of it. Everybody might have a different take of what moved them. What moved me was sort of like the introduction to the story, where Rav uh, Doctor Zalewski talks about that he was zocha to Davin. Uh, in by, by Rebel Yoshev's minion. And it was the first day after being discharged fr- after the cardiac procedure. And um, he could somehow, he got close to where Rebel Yoshev was. Now, he didn't perform the procedure, but he knew that Rebel Yoshev had been, uh, had gone through a very difficult nituach. Uh, 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 procedure, right? Yes. And, 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 and where was it that Rebel Yoshev was putting his main emphasis? Not on Arifa Enu, which is where most of us would have, right. but on Atachin and Lodam Das. Yeah. That, um, that, of course, that Rabbi Yoshev was the Isha Das, that, of course, his body would work, but the thing that made Rabbi Yoshev, Rabbi Yoshev, the thing that Rabbi Yoshev understood was the gift the Rabbi Yoshev had given him to Klal Yisro was he as the Baldas, he as the person who understood his ability to machria, to understand to the memory, to and that to me was so powerful that uh, you know we we get because of the ultra specialization of our doctors and what we hear the ikker of the mensch is, is 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 where his das is where his machshav is where his koyach of thinking and especially another it's book. funny that you know mention that of course I wanted to bring it out from all the Yashra, but I was trying to bring out from there the chashivas of the doctor, what kind of Heiliger doctor this was, that he was listening to the words of, of the Godlador and it made such an impression on him. You know, there's <laughs> in the book. And I noticed that in the end of the second chapter that you call Constructive Chinuch, you have a number of stories uh, that deal with Mesiras Nefesh for Chinuch. Um, and there's a, a lot of, Heroes. Did are, you read that story about the little boy who answered the door when Rav Moshe was there? <laughs> okay, you want to tell that? You can tell that if you want. Do you know that story? I, I that's not the one I wanted to ask you about. But okay, go ahead. all right. But uh, to me, it's one of the most delicious stories in the book. That Rav Moshe had gone out to Los Angeles to uh, raise funds for Rav Ruvain's yeshiva that was just starting in Staten Island, and this family knew Rav Moshe was coming for dinner. And so they were waiting, you know, for him to come. And the doorbell rang. Now, the father was going to go there. But the four-year-old ran to open the door. And he took a look at Rabbi Moshe. And he said to him, are you Hashem? <laughs> now, is that the most precious thing? So Rabbi Moshe laughed. And he smiled. And he said, the Ebishter went in Himmel. Hashem lives in the sky. So the kid said, you must be his best friend. Um, the stories that you had in that second section, uh, the last couple of stories, 
they deal with a number of mothers and you call them magnificent mothers and mothers of all generations. What spoke to me about these mothers, especially since my mom uh, was also very much a very similar history. My mother was raised under uh, communist Russia, uh, although her mother was a Shemeris Mitzvah. The communists did a great job of basically indoctrinating her completely uh, against anything Jewish. And still, um, the Messiah So when did your mother come to America? So my mother came to America after she met my dad during the World War II. And, and, and she also, even though she had come from Russia, a place that was really so antithetical to any sort of Jewish learning, um, just like these mothers who did incredible things, who worked nights, uh, who worked, uh, who didn't take uh, taxis in order to walk, who wouldn't even take buses in order to walk. I, I found it w- wonderful that you were able to, in a way, uh, glorify these Russian women, these women who came, uh, not like when my mother came in the 1950s, but these are women that came much later in the after the yeah. of the Iron Curtain. Yeah, you can't imagine how much time I spent on the phone with the children of these two mothers, both the husband and the wife, um, and, you know, to relive what it was when she was in Jackson Heights and she came into that school and the mother, you know, what, you know, was going to put her in a public school when she saw the lack of their hearts, she knew she couldn't uh, keep her there. And um, Rabbi Rakoff, you know, took her by car to Beisiakov eventually, and uh, she became a very elegant girl. Today, she's a Revitan in Lakewood. Her husband is a diet. It's hard to believe that right. this Russian who, uh, but, whose but, parents knew nothing. But, and and, what and about they the raised story? this child. He was a brilliant kid. And he's a, he's a diet today. Yes, especially, you know, you, you were willing to even you know, talk about the hesitation that many of us had towards these immigrants. No, well, it's great that they're here, but they still haven't made it in our echelon. And you talk about how Rav, Gel- yeah. Rav Geltzeler, when, you know, when he saw these boys, he, he thought I'm they were boys, but as you said, and that he, he felt that they couldn't really make it in Ari Yisrael. And he wanted to send right. them to Yeshiva, but the mothers, she could, by seeing the tears in, in the mother's eyes, he knew that he changed his mind. Right. Uh, that to me is so beautiful. And look what these two have done, Ilan and, and Yaniv Meirov. Thousands have been inspired by them from the Chazak organization. And you picked up on a very, very great thing. That That is really amazing. Yes. So it, 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 especially we have to realize that even, and I know this from my own life, despite what was drilled into my mom, she still lived in Memphis as a woman who was Meister Nefesh in the 50s to go to the mikvah, to send her kids to school, to send her kids to yeshiva. So I I think those Russian moms, (laughs) you know, we get enough pub. There was something, despite what Stalin was trying to do and how how effective they were, they couldn't extinguish that completely. Right at the end of that story, those two stories, Another story that again resonated with me, and it's it's it's, right, it's obviously because I had a connection. Uh, someone who I who really was a very encouraging person in my youth uh, when I was studying in yeshiva in Miami for four years, and that was Reb Zev Lef, um, and vibrancy and labedikai, right? And and way beyond you know what his chronological age is, 
And, you know, I, I, and, and as I told you, he, when I was studying in yeshiva in, by, in, in Miami, uh, by Rabbi Yechen and Zweig, Rabbi Zev Lef would come periodically from his post as the very first Rav of the young Israel of North Miami Beach. And he would come con- frequently for, for other halachic issues uh, and, and come in there. And whenever he would see the B'nai Torah and the yeshiva, he'd be machazat them and speak with them in learning. And even though, you know, event, you know, even though he didn't have the same ashkafas necessarily as Rav Yechiren, but he was very, very uh, a wonderful presence. And you knew you could always call him up for everything. Uh, I did a, 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 some some work in the Young Israel. There are some, uh, uh, I guess you would call some uh, youth minion type of things. And Zevlev was always, always very uh, stark, encouraging. I, I, before I get to your story, I want to tell you that Zevlev, Rabbi Zevlev is the only person I ever saw who was able to knock out Rav Meir Kahana. I'd without like to hear that. Rav, what what, what happened? That, that sounds Kahana, fascinating. Without getting to Rav Meir Kahana's politics and whether you agree with them or not. And there are many right. who, who feel that they are odious. And, uh, but Meir Kahana is a very forceful person. And Mayor Kana was, and again, many times, you know, in a debate, it's not necessarily what you're saying, it's how you say it and the quickness of how you say it and how it appears, you know, as we all know. And Mayor Kana came to, uh, to the yeshiva and Rabzev Zev was not supposed to be there. He had heard from someone that Mayor Kahana was there. He felt that there were elements of Mayor Kahana's hashkafa that should not be absorbed and should be at least um, neutralized by what he was going to say. So he drove from North Miami Beach and he came by. And as I remember, Americana was standing on the steps of, of the Masifta. And we were all around him uh, transfixed by the, the power of his oratory. And all of a sudden, another voice comes. No, that's not what the Rambam says. No, you have to look that up. And and he says, no, I don't think that that's what the Rambam means. I don't think that that's going to help. And it was Zevlev. And... Uh, Did Rabbi Yechen get involved in the middle between them? It, it, it happened in and It was not oh. during... It was during our lunchtime. And it was... And I have seen videos of Kahana uh, taking on Mike Wallace, you know, whoever it was. He could shut anybody up, but not Rabzevlev. Not Zevlev. And, and the fact that Zevlev almost didn't become Zevlev. <laughs> he would have bought, they, they were ready in the academy in 1959, the Santa Cruz Academy, and I right. knew Santa to, to dismiss him because the, the, the board of directors, they needed money. And this nine year old boy writes a letter, and I wanted to ask you about it. He says, I want to remain in your school. If you let me stay, maybe one day I'll be a great rabbi. But if I have to leave, who knows what will become of me? And we know what life in Miami was like. I can tell you, as Rav Aaron said, he didn't believe there would ever be terror in Miami because of what goes on there. Um, now, I, you told me you heard this from my good friend Shragi, that, that Rav uh, Shragi Gross, Rav, Rav, Rav Sender's son, that he kept this letter in his wallet. Right. And they found it afterwards. And this is the exact quote from the letter. Pretty much so. Yeah, I think so. That's that. I what does he say? He says maybe one day I'll be a great rabbi, and that really shows you again the power of what 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 Chinuch can do in, in imaginations. Um, who understood that I'm not going to be Machal Shabbos, right? Um, you know, you have two more stories, maybe even more, but two of them uh, are, are 
are, are very, to me, spoke very uh, emotionally and interestingly. One of them, especially, I want to get to. But the one is you have a story called The Polished Diamond. Um, oh, my. That's painful. Yes. And here you have uh, a story about uh, a, a fellow who was working in the uh, in a cafe, the diamond district. In a cafe in the diamond district. Right. As you know, the diamond district is all about not the building itself, but it's about the deals that are made. And the deals are made in these type of cafes. And it's 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 really a cadre of 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 single-minded individuals with a language all their own, with an area of their own. Uh, and until you break into it, you really don't know what it's like, what the diamond district is. What does it mean when you say yes? What does it mean when you say well, Right. So you actually took us into one little nook of that diamond district, which is, I guess, a cafe where, where it was a kosher place where you would come to eat. But also there was a fellow who worked in that cafe. Um, and, and maybe we can, you can talk a little bit about his significance and how his story is, is, is as you say, it's almost heartbreaking. Well, what happened was the person uh, who told me the story didn't want I should mention his name. So, um, but he told me that this fellow was very quiet. The guy who was, who was like serving behind the counter, but he would hum to himself and he would hum Chazanusha pieces. And the guy realized, and the fellow who told me the story realized, hey, wait a second, you know, this guy's got some background because not everybody knows the Chazanusha pieces and he sang them beautifully. He hummed them beautifully. And they would have minyanim for mincha, as many business places do have. This guy never davened for the Ahmed. And finally, one time, he said to him, you know, you never davened for the Ahmed. And besides, Rosh Hashanah is coming. Why don't you try to get a job? You know the shtiklach from the great Zahazonim. You know, try to see if you could, you know, make a parnosa with that, or at least over the yom and the rom. And that's when this fellow broke down. And he went back to the kitchen, and then he came out, and his eyes were red. And he told this heartbreaking story about how he was in Poland and his friends had already got out of Poland. They had been in America and um, they offered him to come and they would get him an apartment and get him a job. And he realized that Poland was not a place for Jews in the future. And he ran and he came to America and they had a little apartment for him and they had a job ready for him. And tomorrow on Shabbos, he said, what are you talking about? He said, well, this is America. You know, it's like, new life, right? As we spoke before. And, uh, you know, they said to him, you, you know, you know you, you, you've got to come in here because otherwise, you know, you, you're not going to have a job. You're not going to make it in America. And let's just say, Pesach, that in many wonderful Jewish cities like Montreal and Chicago, there were for years a hashkom of a second minion that was done on Shabbos morning. Uh, because, as you know, these Yidin felt it was mis- they felt it was pikuach nefesh. They felt they had to do it. They didn't want to uh, sink into poverty, which at that time they felt could could end them uh, in, taking in the streets, home, right in the streets. And and so we know that this was the nesoya of 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 the early and mid part of the twentieth century, to the point. I mean, again, in Montreal for years. The downtown minion was Vasikan on Shabbos because of the fact that they used to come that early so then they could go off to work. Um, and I, I, I remember, you know, you've heard, of, of course, the stories of the great Tzadik Rabbi Winchester from Chicago. 
No, I don't know. Rabbi Winchester in Chicago was one of the Yechide uh, school. And he knew about these, these minyanim, and he would specifically walk a total roundabout path on Shabbos morning to his shul because he didn't want to embarrass these people who unfortunately would daven early and make their way downtown to the loop to do their work. And, and he would go out of his way, sometimes blocks and blocks, because he didn't want to have to embarrass that person seeing them. And, and unfortunately, that was, that was Taka, that was Taka the Matzev. And, and this, this barrel, as you call him, uh, in the story, uh, he did uh, he succumb. But what was the, the kicker of the story, though, is, and I'll let you say it, that even though he did work for a couple of months. But then at the end, he just couldn't do it anymore. And he decided just to leave. And he, uh, he just couldn't face his own heart that he was going to be a Mahal Shabbos. And he went out and he got the job, you know, as, as a waiter or, you know, behind the counter. Well, what's incredible is, is that he didn't, he understood that what he had done, although so many others had done, he didn't just forgive himself and said, I did tshuva and now I can be a chazan, which right. I think halacha might be true. It might be true that there's so many tshuvas about, if you're makabal tshuva, we bring you back. And I'm sure he was, but he, the, but innovative, he couldn't right. do it. Right. He felt the pain of that he had embarrassed he had lowered himself in the eyes of Akadish Baruch Hu, and he felt that he could not represent the tzibur anymore. Not because, not just Yom Neroyim; he couldn't even daven for the right middle. for the Yom in the middle of in the middle of the week. That type of regish is like we say that's 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 a regish of a Rosh Hashiva. That's a regish of a of, of a goyim. Um, and uh, Indian about refusing to machal Shabbos, uh, Mr. Bartfeld Beryl. Let's talk about uh, um, Rebetzin. Uh, Hindi Ackerman. Yeah, my mother. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, she, she, you know, we always spoke about it. She never went to Beis Yaakov, but her Yer Shemayim and her Amuna and Betochen were greater than anybody ever, you know, that I knew. Uh, you know, she had that from her wonderful parents. You know, the her mother came from Poltava and you know, the father also, you know, from Russia. And that what you said before. You know, there was a certain Erlichkeit in these Russian people that uh, they didn't have to know Ganshas, but they knew uh, they knew Yerushalayim, they knew Betochen, they knew the Rabbani Shalala. So, so your mother grew up in Philly. She's was she, right. You're saying that she was she a born was she a Philly born? She was yeah, Philly. sure. She was born in Philadelphia. I mean, I have a great love for America, um, you know, because of her. And I'll tell you this: my sister and I were just talking about it. If she would be around today. She would be so heartbroken of what's happened to America in the last couple of years. I'm not going to get into any politics and mention anything, but you know, it's just devastating for somebody who had such a pride in America to see what's going on. You know, and, in the political and your mom, of- obviously, the Ackermans, your your grand your grandparents were not super well off, and no. getting, a, getting a job for your mother was was important. Uh, you talk about how um, she graduated when she was 16 years old. Uh, and that uh, she was very adept at her work. This was in the middle of uh, in the middle of the depression, um, and she got a job as, as a bookkeeper. I don't know if she was trained as a bookkeeper. Maybe she taught herself how to do it. But and it, it seems like she was pretty adept at her job. She right. was quite good at it. Um, and and the reason why it's connected to Chelul Shabbos is because the guy she worked for, who uh, was a yid, 
who was a yid. Yeah. Um, although she, he wanted her to stay, you know, and, and not worry about getting home. So even though she didn't have to work on, 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 on Saturday itself, but she needed to put a full Friday in. Right. And as we know, all of us, when it comes to these winter months uh, that we're sort of becoming a little bit longer now, but these winter months that uh, we're in, <laughs> the rush to make Shabbos is, 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 is intense for even the Frumas person. Right. And here she was in a situation where he expected her to stay late. Job, it wasn't around the corner from the Ackerman family house. No. It was, and, and, and in order to be able to make it to get the streetcars. And again, we talk about- and The trolleys. The trolleys, which I don't know if they still run in downtown Philly. Yeah. I but they run in Switzerland, them, I'll tell you that. But you bring them to like the trolleys, the buses, the names- And the streets. The I love the street names. Yes, yeah, Susquehanna. You know, all those presidents. Well, oh, I have to... Thompson, Columbia, Oxford, and New York, and Susquehanna. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, they have a little more imagination than 170th Street or whatever it is, <laughs> right. 104th, wherever you live there. Right. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but your mom uh, uh, felt that, uh, uh, that, you know, she was able to, she bought a, what's it, she bought a token in advance, right? Because she figured right. she'd, she'd get the token ready and she would leave as soon as she could, right? Um, right. As soon as he left the office. <laughs> right. Now, I, again, I think he told her it had to be 3.30, right? <clears throat> but your mom said, look, I can't. I can't be Mahalo Shabbos. Uh, <laughs> he says, <clears throat> you quote your mother, <clears throat> if only that Meshuggah would leave, I'd walk out right now. Right. Um, so Baruch Hashem, to your mother's uh, relief, he walked out at 3.15, and that she felt she could make it perfectly on time. Problem is, just like today, buses, trolleys, streetcars don't come exactly on time. So when she went out there to catch the train that would get her into the house right before Lechzenden or right at Lechzenden, what happened instead was the bus didn't come. And your mom, what did she do? So she started walking and she started running and she knocked over a lady. <laughs> she told me and, uh, you know, she hopes that the lady will be Michael her. But she still had that token. Now, my mother was one girl and, and seven boys in the family. She was a tomboy, if there ever was one. And, uh, you know, and she could play ball with them. And that's what she did. And she just, uh, she was a lefty. She, I think she wrote with her right hand, but everything else she did with her left hand. And um, she took that coin. <laughs> I start crying. And she, she just threw it. In the air, she said, Hashem, this is for you. You know, she wasn't going to carry, she wasn't going to carry, wasn't gonna carry that carry. coin and she was going to walk home. And she ran into her mother's arms. Just and, and even again, so many of us have sort of been in that situation where we're driving and we're trying, but it, it's, it's because we left too late. It's because we didn't make the cheshpin. Right. Because, right? We didn't realize it would be a traffic jam. Here was your mom who was trying to hold on to a job that was a Bikuach Nefesh type of job. But despite the fact that it would turn out her boss might discover that she did leave 15 minutes before he said to leave. And she was ready, it sounds like, to get fired. Right. He would discover that what time she left. When, when, he told, when, she, when your mom told this fellow how she had run 
all the way home. I don't know how many miles it was, but she had run all yeah. the way home. She broke, she was able to get to the Pintalayid in his heart. Right, right. And so, he said you could, sometimes you could even learn something from a kid. <laughs> Which again, I think about uh, uh, the, uh, the piece of pizza. Now, of course, here. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, I'm so happy you brought that up. Nobody has called me about that story, but I love that story. Okay. So first of all, I want to tell you that I, I'll give a little bit of a synopsis of the story. It sounds like, the uh, in it must be in Kiryat Arba. There must be a pizza store where people who have visited the Maras Machvela are able uh, to get some sort of uh, lunch before they go back to your shrine wherever it is they're going. And it seems like that pizzeria uh, says that if you whatever they they will match uh, what you buy with a coupon that can only be redeemed by one of the soldiers that are encamped in the Kiryat Arba Hebron area. And uh, I guess the person who, was, who, was, who had been in that shop... Uh, yeah, that was, you know, um, Rabbi Eisenman's son, Rabbi Eisenman from uh, Passaic, a wonderful, wonderful rob, a great writer, by the way, also somebody who you should have on your show. Um, his son is a tour guide. And he lost a lot of money during COVID because nobody was coming to Eretz Yisrael. But now that uh, things were opening up, so now he got these people who I said, you know, came from Tinek or whatever, and um, he was taking them around. It was In your book, it's called the Gutnik Center. Right, uh, that's, what, that's what it's called. Yeah, and the Gutnik Center is where you can get some pizza. Um, and they where they had that sign that people could buy it for the for the office. Right. So if you buy if you if you purchase this coupon, you can get a pizza for it. But the only one who could redeem it was one of the soldiers. Right. And and you said that this couple, this modern couple, you would assume from Teaneck, happened to notice another couple at a different table, and um and and on their at their table there were actually two coupons. Right to give to the soldiers. But that couple, unlike the Tina couple, they were a Chassidisha couple. Right. The couple they looked like they came people. from Monroe, you know, with the Grisel to Payas and probably uh, right. and, a and Megashel or something. And we know the Satmar theology holds that the Medina is one of the worst things that happened uh, to Claudius Rowan in its history. And that the government needs to be opposed and you can't take money from them. And that, that it's the Sitra Akra that was responsible for the victories of, of 67 to make us fool, to fool us that the Rabbi Shalom is behind it. And we've heard a lot of this uh, ideas, which I, I, I am not going to disagree or disagree with them here with you. But the fellow from Tinek felt, what? You're a Satna Chosid and you're buying these coupons uh, to give to the soldiers? And um, the uh, and he, of course he goes over and he finds out that the Hitake really is a Satmar fellow, and he uh, very delicately uh, questioned. You know, uh, it's so interesting that you have these coupons. I thought your ideal, your ideology is a little different, and and he was so startled as was the tour guide. You know, Rabbi uh, Eisenman's son. He said, "Look, this has nothing to do with ideal. You know, ideology." These guys are protecting us. We owe them a Korosatayv. And that's why I'm doing that. And I, I thought that is so beautiful. And that's really actually what I spoke about. Really broke the barriers by telling him that we might disagree whether the Medina is a Ness, right. whether it should happen. 
But we, of course, love every Jew. And these soldiers are putting their lives on the line. And they're protecting us. And they protect us. And the Akaras Atev, the Mesiras Nefesh that they have for us. And I thought it was great that they exited the eatery together. And they walked right. down the block. How many right. times do we meet someone? No, go in your car. You go to your car. No, we have been, the, the connection that was made. I have to tell you that I recently uh, had the birth of a grandson um, and I, I went there to Israel for this event and I had never been at, I, all my years, I had never been in Marisa Mahayla. Yeah. i never gone there. Yeah. And all my friends were warning me about how if you're going to go, you have to go in a bulletproof bus and you have to have a tour guide. I didn't have the wherewithal to do that. My schedule didn't allow it. And I got a call the night before I went. And it was from a, a, a person who said, you're in Eretz Yisrael. Can you please daven in one of the Makomas Akdoshim? My, my children are, are going through terrible Shalom bias issues, that they're suffering. The, 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 the mother is threatening. The father is depressed. The kids. So I said to myself, this is a simon. Where is the place to go for Shalom bias? You have to go. Now, Shalom bias is in a place where people have overcome difficulties and learn to love and, and, and love each other and understand. The always the Mayas, the Torah tells us that there was friction at times. It tells us that there were at least I'll be shot. Right. And, sure. yet, and yet we realized that they were buried together. They were they, they were part of an Ishama Achas. I said, I've got to go. For Shalom, I have to go. And I got into my car. It's incredible. I never, I mean, I've doubted about that, but I never put it together that, you know, even though that they were Shalom Bayes, but they were buried together. That's a beautiful thought. So I, I said, this is where I've got to go for Shalom Bayes. I've right. got to go there to Davin. So I have to tell you, once I, I, I left the Tzomet, where uh, Efrat and, 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 and that area is, and you get on Highway 60, it's like, when Dorothy says we're not in Kansas anymore, <laughs> it, you, you realize instead of being a color version of some beautiful place like Oz, it's a dingy, horrible version of, of, what, of, of, of those Arab settlements. And the driving is, is dangerous. And I started saying to you, with tears running down my eyes, I was holding on to the, the steering wheel, shaking and saying, everybody show them please let me get there, please, because people had told me that, and when I, and, and when I pulled into uh, the, the, the exit, lot. to exit to get into uh, Kiryat Arba, and I saw this Israeli soldier, I, I was, I wanted to jump out of my car and hug him, because here was the, our protectors, and, yeah. and when I, when I made it into downtown Hebron and I parked my car and this, I didn't park in the normal lot and the soldier said he was going to make sure my car was okay. After I left, I told him, I, I said, you should know how much we all love you. And you should realize that if you hear that we don't, if you hear that Haredi Jews don't, it's a lie. If there are people, they're Meshugayim, you should not even listen to them. And especially I went over to uh, an Ethiopian girl who was holding a rifle. And I said, you really need to understand this, that we love you and, and what you're doing for us, allowing us to come to this place, to be able to daven, to be able to be there. Uh, it, it really struck home. Yeah. Uh, even before he was Nifter. Right. But, but the, the it, 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 obviously all Claudius role uh, is suffering. And 
I, I think Pesach, this was one of your harder pieces because these other things everybody knows about. Right. Rechaim, you're basically bringing, what are you going to bring that hasn't been said, exactly. that hasn't been repeated, that right. even you haven't said yet? Right. right. From his son-in-law, the way he used to go visit his mother. Right. And again, the, the, the idea of the palindrome is, is again, it's the type of cop you'd expect from a Rishon. A Vilnagon. A Vilnagon. A is a Pasuk that it reads the same backwards and forwards, meaning Asa, who is the Semel of Kibbutz, teaches us from Asa, right. yes, that the way you treat, the way you treat your parents, that is the way it's going to come back to you, which I know right. you have, you've done. Let's end over here, Pesach, with the, just the, what I thought. And, and you did a great job, I think, waiting, if not the best for last, but in a way, a very effective ending when you talk about the one-liners. You talk yeah. about the one-liners. And um, uh, they're, they're all wonderful. Uh, about statements, and let me just explain for the people who might be listening, that sometimes it isn't a whole story, but it's one statement that you might have heard at a crucial time in your life that resonates within you and you can still live by it and go back to that one statement. Um, I, I thought the, uh, uh, I, the Rechezko Abramsky was, uh, it was re- revelatory because usually, you know, you, Gedolim have their Amuna from Aleph to Tov. You actually have Rechezko Abramsky almost like, almost tining on God. Why am I suffering? Why did I have to be put in Siberia? Why is it that, that life has become uh, so, such a terrible veil of tears? And finding in the most simple tefillah that every Jewish child says, and as Lubavitch Rebbe famously points out, it doesn't, because you say it before washing, it doesn't have the Shem Hashem in it. It's something you can say even before Negel Vaser, so you could say, but what's my neshama doing here in this terrible chorbin of a place? But you know what you've given me a lot of? You know what I have a lot of? I have a lot of amuna. I have a lot of, 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 of being able to be maimon in you. That's every second of life gives you the hechitimsa to be marbe in amuna. And that's the matana that Rabbi Cheskel felt. I, that was a good chap, and we usually say Rabbi Nusach means Rabbi Nusholem will always give back your neshama until it's time to be taken away. But Rechezkel had a, he, in, in the depth of his sorrow and his pain and his suffering, he came up with a drezach on what does Rabbi Nusach mean. And we can all say that, if, we could all learn from that Rabbi Nusach every day. I thought that was something new uh, and important. Uh, I also was, was, was as, 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 as my ninth grade Rebbe was Rav Simcha Kuk, uh, and I was close to the cooks and your cousin Eski, I saw Raminda was, was born with not able to see. Right. And, and of course, Eski uh, was, was even uh, maybe at that time, even famous throughout the world for her beautiful uh, artwork, artistry, her artwork, her caricatures. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, anybody who had any sort of decent uh, uh, children's uh, book and, and books all over Eski. Right, and and I remember being in Eski's house um, when I was a kid, and seeing that she had a number of of, of, of graphic novels like Flash yeah. Gordon, and she was studying them because for the art, I said, you know, I said, I said, Rebitson, you know, I love comic books too. She says, yeah, I, I but I love because I learned so much from them about how how to draw, how to conceive. So when she was born with a child who couldn't see, 
someone that she felt that perhaps there was such a, 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 a huge chasm between the two. How was she going to, especially her, she felt it was such so painful for her. And her mother actually told her something, right? Her mother said, Eski, because of who you are, because of your talent and your gift, you, your daughter will be able to see the world through you. And that I thought was really uh, just, again, the wisdom of a mother. And yeah, that, and it's true. And today she's, I, I did her son. I met Sarah Mindy when we had to make an emergency stop in Baltimore overnight. And Rav Simcha invited me to come over to the house. Wow. My son at that time, I think was three, I believe. Three or, right? And I remember when we got there, how Sarmindi heard that Chaim, my son, was coming. And as soon as we got to the door, she says, where's Chaim? Is Chaim here? I heard that there's Chaim is here. And she was this incredible machnesis for us. Wow. And, and she, she, was, she made my son, who of course is able to see, she played yeah. with him and she made him feel uh, comfortable, an incredible, incredible child, and an incredible heart again. Pesach, at the end of your book, and maybe this is, I think, a great place to end, um, you talk about... My birthday. On your birthday, which is Tubishvat. On Tubishvat, right. So that's, somebody told me this thing, and, and said, the day you were born, that was the day that Hashem decided the world can no longer exist without you. I, I found who, out to who be... Who was that so, fellow who said it? Who what? Was it? That was, he just came up with this idea? No, no, no. Somebody told it to me. And I, I guess they had heard it from somebody else. I don't know. I've seen it in other places. And somebody said the Lubavitcher Rebbe said it. I don't know. But this person told it to me and said, the day you were born, that was the day Hashem decided the world can no longer exist without you. I think it is so empowering. It is so great. Because every one of your listeners can feel that way about themselves as well. Hashem created us because... He felt the world could no longer exist without us. And that's why he put us in the place where we are. I think it's very empowering. Because we are part of this Bria, as much as we seem insignificant, right. we are Mivroyim. And, and I, 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 you know, again, a little wish like that, Pesach, uh, as we say, it, it's more than just homespun wisdom. It's really a, a, a way that a person in the depth of pain and difficulty uh, can 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 take chizuk that he right. he has a purpose in the bria and that if the rabbinic shalom is shalom then you are shalom you're part of that aim safe essence because otherwise what are you doing here right and the bria couldn't get pesach as Rav Mordechai Gifter said and as you quote in your, your in your book that if the whole Hebrew Academy of <laughs> Miami was only there to produce Rav Zev Lef, it would have been worth it. Yeah, I'd say that this great, great book, this grandush, this book that's so grandiose, this great book of grandeur, even if someone just gets to that last page, thank you. Here's that message. He already has something that is uh, a gift and a treasure that will vouchsafe him you. For, for years to come. Thanks again, Pesach, for all this time. I just want to say publicly that you and I somehow. From the first day that we met, we became soul brothers. I don't know what it is, but we've had, you know, there have been sometimes years when we haven't spoken. And then in five minutes, we're back to where we were. There's something special about Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.